0: Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black and white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 2, The Haunted Lighthouse is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, Tyler Patrick. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's always fun to chat and this is this is a fun like I don't say ex- it's not an experiment but like project. There we go. That's the word. It's been a long day. Uh, you know, looking back at this show because so many so many of us are hooked on what the now and like you and I talked before, I'm such a big fan of looking back at the history of a character and kind of understanding that character's journey um, through media and exploring, you know, everything with, with them that it's exciting to kind of do this and um, not, you know, not do it alone. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of the thing that excites me about being here and being in this podcast is, you know, it'll have Twitter conversations and you will have several of us people all start to kind of talk and like experience this together and not just be like, man, I watched this episode and you're like, I have no one to talk to.
0: Well said. and And that's one thing that I've learned in doing Digging for Kryptonite, which you've been a guest on a bunch of times, is that. I get so much more out of whatever I'm reading or watching in preparation for that show than I would if I were just doing it for my own enjoyment. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but knowing right. that we're going to have these conversations and share it with people just adds this whole other layer to it. And so I love that we can have these types of chats about adventures of Superman and maybe create a forum, create a space where people ha- haven't had as much of an opportunity to to kind of rewatch along with us and take part in these conversations on social media and things like that. So Yeah, I'm so excited to be doing the show and very happy to have you on board for this. So The Haunted Lighthouse aired on September 26, 1952, written by Eugene Solo, directed by Tommy Carr. Here's the synopsis from the DVD set. A terrified Jimmy Olsen calls for help and Superman speeds to an isolated island where strange things happen in the fog shrouded night. I have to say the description makes it sound like Superman plays a far more prominent role in the episode than he actually does. Is that fair to say?
1: This, this description makes it sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll give our overall impressions of the episode in just a second. But I do want to ask you, and I plan to ask each guest the first time they're on the show this question, which is, what is your experience or lack thereof with the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show?
1: Um, I think that's a great question, first of all, to ask everybody. Uh, my experience is the first time I remember George is I remember watching the episode of I love Lucy with my grandma and my great grandma. That's the first memory I have of George. Um, I did watch some episodes with my grandma and great grandma. I'm not sure which ones I was, you know, as young and I think it was on Nick at night at the time. Um, And then, you know, that beautiful year of 2006 when all this Superman related stuff was released on DVD Uh, I did seek out the first season to watch some and I watched a little bit and then it was always kind of in the back of my mind, like I want to, I want to sit down and watch it all. Um, And I think the first thing I bought of the series was actually season two because I found it like in a dump bin at Best Buy and um, I bought it. And I put it on my shelf like, okay, I got a season I'll collect. And then over the past year, my buddy bought me season one for uh, my birthday. I got season uh, three, four. He gave me for Father's Day. And then I just bought last week five and six um, because yeah, we, we had talked before that I was going to rewatch it as you, know, you and I are both – as of this recording, still making our way slowly through Superboy.
0: You far surpassed Uh, me. You far surpassed me. I'm like two episodes in. in.
1: (laughs) I am in season three. Um, I took a break because we did some, we and I did some recordings and then um, did some other things I had to watch to, you know, for recording. So I'm getting back into it, but I was going to start George Reeves and I got one episode into it. And then you announced that you're going to do this and you asked me to be on it. I said, no, Tyler, stop. Because I'm like, I'm going to watch this as the podcast goes. Because then I feel like I get to experience the episode and then watch the episode and then listen to the podcast and feel like it's that fresh, almost as if, you know, you're dropping the podcast after the episode of Superman and Lois drops. And I'm joining the conversation like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is what I was thinking and feeling. Um, so I think it's going to be fun to jo- to go on this journey with all of us in this podcast and, you know, not look too far ahead. I know you and I had a previous conversation where I had watched Superman and the Mole Man and you were on my podcast and we talked about that, you know, um, during as a lead out from our conversation on the serials and everything. So, yeah, that's kind of my quick history and where it is. And I'm, I'm excited for this, to be honest with you.
0: That's awesome, that's really cool i'm I'm honored that you're gonna follow along as as we do this podcast and I know even though you might be newer to Adventures of Superman, you have such a vast knowledge of the Superman mythology and I know you know you've done a lot of exploring as, as have I with my podcast as well into you know into the larger Superman context and where this fits and just a quick plug uh, recently we were on digging for Kryptonite and we did an episode you mentioned on the Kirk Allen movie serials and I'm really glad we did that episode as recently as we did, because it was sort of a nice tee up for me leading into this podcast series yeah, of, of watching mean, those. And that was for both of us, you know, watching them all the way through for the first time.
1: And, you know, I told you my, my friend, Brian, who guests on our, we call him the green ranger of our podcast. Cause he comes in, you know, joins the team, helps out, disappears. Um, and he actually has the green, uh, Krypton report shirt too. So it just la- makes us laugh. He's in the middle of watching the serials right now. And so he's sending me these little messages and stuff and he's really enjoying them. And one of my things with him was you're not benching them. <laughs> how is that going for you? Um, so it's cool to hear his perspective, you know, and as we talked about with Superman, the moleman just how we transitioned from to George and how at one point it could have been Kirk, but we got George and, uh, Yeah, but we get to talk about this episode today.
0: Yeah, The Haunted Lighthouse. So let's give, let's talk about our overall impressions and then we'll sort of break down the episode all the way through. Now, my history, my experience with this episode, I watched this when I did my Adventures of Superman viewing project about a year and a half ago. It was the first time that I watched it. And I will admit that upon my initial viewing a year and a half ago, I hated this episode, and by the time I was done with the first two seasons, I held this up as as one of my least favorite. Cut to now, and I've actually spent a lot of time with this episode. In advance of this recording, over the past few nights, I watched it three times. I watched it once, just to to view it. I watched it again, and I took some notes, and I watched it a third time because the DVD has commentary from author Gary Grossman, who wrote the Superman Serial to Serial book, which is a wonderful resource, and I have it sitting on the table behind me. So I've spent a lot of time with the episode, and what I've learned, I suppose, is it's a better episode than I originally gave it credit for, and I can see the value in it now. At the same time, I could save this for the end, but I'll just, I won't bury the lead, I still do not think that this was the right choice to air as episode two. That's ultimately the fundamental issue that I have with it. I think if it aired later in the season, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. But I think coming right after Superman on Earth, Superman on Earth is not typical of the rest of the, the, the first season, right? It's, it's the origin, it sets everything up. It's a really fun, fast episode. Uh, and then you go to Haunted Lighthouse and that's very much an outlier as well for all the reasons that we'll talk about. So it's not until the third episode that you really, you see an episode that's representative of what the show will be like moving forward. And I do think that when I think of television shows and and effective, successful ones, I think you need to have that happen earlier. I think that really needs to be like your second episode, really setting the template for what's to come. So that's my overall assessment of this. So I definitely have a more favorable opinion of it now. And I appreciate how moody and atmospheric it is. And I think there are, are a number of things that, Work very well, but I still do not think it's a good episode two. But what is your take on this haunted lighthouse?
1: So I, I forgot to mention this when DC Universe came out that I still miss. And if you're saying it's on HBO Max, no, it's not. Um, I started watching and I watched, you know, first episode, this episode, I think it was on episode four or five because I was watching it, some Superboy and stuff. Um, And I remember when I got to this one because of how the first episode ends, and I was like, What is this? Um, and now watching it again for you know, here for I agree with everything you just said, and I don't want to break down some of it without giving things away, but it's like a filler episode that you would find later on, or the type of episode you would make, say, if. George was injured during a stunt and you needed uh, to film and you only could use George very minimal. Um, You know, Lois isn't even in this episode.
0: No Lois, no Perry, just a very brief visit to the daily planet. So there's next to no metropolis in this either. It's very much, it's very much an outlier. It's a very gym. And it's not just that it's a gym centric episode, but it's that it's a gym centric episode with, very minimal Clark and Superman. I didn't mark the time code, but I think it's maybe I halfway. Oh, well, how far into the episode? It's
1: 11 it? minutes before Clark shows up typing out of a 25 minute, I think roughly episode.
0: Yeah. That's um, deep. I mean, that's deep into the episode.
1: And like I said, if we were farther into this series and you do this, it'd be like, Oh, okay. Cause I mean, even, you know, current CW shows like the flash, for example, as it went on, they would do an episode that was maybe more about Cisco. And that would make sense because you've grown this character. But having just met Superman, and then you're coming back the next week, um, it was very awkward. Even from a production point of view. And I tried to do some research in the production of this episode. It feels like something happened, and they had to cut corners. And we'll get into it more. But just how the the episodes put together. Um So I like, I mean, I'll I'll say I like Jack Larson as Jimmy. I think he's a really good Jim, Jimmy, Jim. He goes by both. Um, Not James, but Jim. And it just feels oddly placed. And I mean, we both know a little bit more of the history of how the production was shot. So that's what makes it feel even more odd. And I'll point out a few things as we go. Um, But it it felt to me as if one day they were like, hey Jack, you like the Hardy Boys? Yeah. Wanna do a Hardy Boys episode with Jimmy? Sure. Cause it isn't like the second Hardy Boys book something Lighthouse. Um uh, I used I, to I have don't, it.
0: I don't know for used, sure, but it, it is curious, especially since we we do know that these were not aired in the order in which they were shot. And I don't know exactly when in the production order this fell, but it it wasn't the second one they shot. So you know it was it was a decision to air this second. And again, not to belabor the point, it just feels like somewhat of a curious choice, but in any event, we'll evaluate it, you know, in its context here in the season, but also generally, I will say in terms of its, its place in the season, it, it, does, it does feel a bit off note because, for example, when, and I know I'm skipping ahead, but we'll get there, when Superman lands on the Coast Guard ship, you know, the captain immediately knows, oh, it's Superman. Whereas, you know, in terms of the airing order, it's only been a week since he just made his debut. And similarly, when he rescues Jimmy, there's clearly history between them that we haven't seen yet, because at the end of Superman on Earth, he hasn't even had a formal introduction to him yet, to them yet. Right. And that's that's part of
1: why I was like, okay, did something happen? They had a like they didn't have something else done and this was done. And We'll get into it. We'll yeah,
0: into it's, it. it's all good questions. And if anyone out there happens to have a little bit more insight and wants to share or has any theories, please feel free to reach out and join the conversation. You can use the social media handles for the Digging for Kryptonite podcast. So Digging for Kryptonite is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We also have the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group you can join. Uh, I would love to hear from people, especially... You know, if you have a specific memory of of watching these episodes or like Tyler, if you're watching along with us now, I I would really love to hear from you. I think that would be a lot of be a lot of fun. The last thing, I guess, by way of setup, that I want to mention, I I spoke about Gary Grossman a moment ago. I do have to give him a lot of credit because listening to that commentary track really turned me around a little bit on the episode because he spoke. Did you happen to listen to it?
1: Okay, let me tell you this quick story. So I started the episode. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got time. I start the episode. I'm, like, I'm going to do the commentary because I've watched it before. So I'll be able to do this. I get about got the commentary going. The kids start making noise. I so yell at the kids. They stop. I'm, I'm in it. My father-in-law shows up ready to work on the deck. He showed up early without letting me know. So I pause it. I go work on the deck. He got, he's like hey i gotta go get some more supplies um i'll be back in about you know maybe about an hour i get some supplies and do a couple other quick things i'm like okay cool so i go back in i sit down my daughter comes in she's like daddy i want to go, go outside and play i'm like no nah, i want to finish this baby she leaves i'm sitting there i started up again I'm starting to take notes my wife comes in humming cats in the cradle and she just looks at me and I'm like, dang it. Fine. So I pause it. I go outside. I have a great time throwing ball with my daughter. And then my son comes out and join us. It's just a great father experience. <laughs> come back inside. My father-in-law shows back up. I work with him for a while. Slide ahead a few hours. It's late. I'm like, I got, I'm like, man, I'm like at this weird. I'm like, all right, just play. And I just ended up watching without the commentary. Cause I forgot to restart it with the commentary and I just took notes and I was like, man, I was like three times in one day trying to get this 25 minute episode in it was, I was like, man, I was like, Anthony, I appreciate
0: this. I, I do. Well, first of all, I appreciate the effort, but also I appreciate that you are pulled in other directions and look, time with the kids is always time well spent. So I completely understand the commentary. Again, it is worthwhile if you do have time and you're curious. I, I you know, I do recommend it, but I it was think, interesting that it was on this episode. Well, that really struck me because again I was coming into this and even when I reached out to you I remember messaging you and you had also been on Digging for Kryptonite to talk about Superman 3 and Superman 4 and the Supergirl movie so it's become a little bit of a running joke with us that I have you on my shows to talk about some of the lesser entries let's say the lesser entries in the Superman canon and so that was kind of how I prefaced this I was like well we got a good thing going here. (laughs) Would you like to come on to talk about what I consider to be one of the worst episodes of the early seasons of Adventures of Superman? So that was, you know, that was so my mindset coming into this. And listening to the commentary track, you know, Grossman talked about being four or five years old and watching this episode and being scared along with Jimmy And it just sort of gave me a new perspective and I thought to myself yeah I mean what would it have been like to be watching this as a kid in the 50s or in the 60s or 70s in syndication as I know a lot of subsequent generations found the show and that just kind of just gave me an added appreciation for it because it's like yeah I think at that time and at that age and especially following Jimmy who really is a kid. I mean that's one of the things that Grossman talked about in the commentary he estimated that that. Jack Larson was about 19 or so uh, and when he when they filmed this episode. But that's one thing that I always think of when I'm watching these. It's like, how old is Jim supposed to be? Because there are later episodes where his mother's out of town and he has to stay at Clark's apartment. And I remember the first time I watched it, it's like, well, he's like a grown man. Why can't he stay by himself? But he, I mean, I don't know. He, he is like a kid in a lot of ways. And so all of that just sort of gave me, I think, a better understanding of what the appeal of this might be.
1: Oh, I... I totally would understand that if just that, you know, Jim in a way was the in character that kids and young people would see themselves as Superman's pal. Like maybe you're not Superman, but you can be Jimmy.
0: Yeah. So, all right, let's take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll break down the episode. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at FilmFreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Oh yeah. And we're back. All right, so let's start to make our way through the haunted lighthouse here. I will say right off the bat, I like, and this is something that I'm more attuned to now as I'm watching the show again, I do like how the font of the the title card changes to match the episode. So when we see, of course, after our epic opening sequence that we're all familiar with, and we can probably recite verbatim, uh, once we see that title card, The Haunted Lighthouse, it's in a very creepy font that really conjures the sense of like, okay, we're getting a horror-tinged uh, episode. So right off the bat, I think they did a good job of setting the stage.
1: I I agree with that, and I kind of like, being a fan of older movies and even older horror and horror comedy like Abbott and Costello, um, there's a great movie they did called Hold That Ghost that's positioned as like a spooky scary movie but spoiler alert for a movie older than me uh it's like some mobsters doing some things and stuff and it kind of like gave me that vibe a little and i kind of expected more out of that element like the the you know the mist and the fog and the creepiness of the haunted lighthouse like what's going on and i feel like and that got lost you know and the font setup is great. Like I took a picture of it. But then I was like, no, I don't want anyone to know what I'm watching. So I just, I backed up the frame and took a picture of just the symbol. <laughs> uh,
0: I I appreciate you uh, keeping your homework under wraps. It would have been okay if you did, but I very much, that's very kind of you. I will, yeah, you know, your point is well taken. It does, because as we, as we find out, right, as we make our way through the episode, not to give away the whole thing, but the, the haunt house, the lighthouse is not actually haunted. We end up getting a very very human, very real world explanation for all of the apparent hauntedness that Jimmy is experiencing. So yeah, it, perhaps in some ways it sets up a false expectation of, of what the ultimate payoff is going to be. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with that.
1: You know, I'm completely okay. But at the same time, I feel like I didn't, and like I, I preface it with saying, like, I'm a fan of the error and saying old things. So I didn't feel like we were getting the hauntedness. Like you didn't really get the there's always that kind of story. It's told like the old haunted lighthouse, like you got to sell it and feed the fear. You know um, what I found interesting was when it starts and we're several minutes in the episode before there is any dialogue spoken. And it's not even spoken by Jim. It's narration by George Reeve. Um, but it's over top of scenes of Jimmy and the other characters talking. And that's what I said struck me as odd about the production. Like, was something lost? Was there like damaged audio they couldn't go and re-record? You know, because you have these scenes where they're acting and emoting and talking, and you know they're giving lines, but they're just silent, and it's just George, George talking. Yes, and it was it was very interesting. Um, that that's that's what the choice that was made for this episode, like to start off in the setup. I I wonder if a certain ex prolific director maybe had watched this and thought, let make a, a good movie about grandparents." His name, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is Shyamalan.
0: Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you, that brings us to the opening scene here, and. Like we said before, there's no Lois, there's no Perry, there's exceedingly minimal Metropolis or Daily Planet, and Clark doesn't show up until, as you said, 11 minutes into the episode. Now, you don't know all of that from the very beginning, but right from the opening seconds, you do get a couple of indicators that this is going to be a different episode. So number one, the setting. So we are on Moose Island, this island off the coast of Maine, and we open on this exterior shot. And immediately we start to hear, as you said, the narration provided by George Reeves. Now, again, the fact that it's set elsewhere than most of the rest of the episodes, that sets it apart. And also, not only the use of narration, you know, Superman on Earth had a little bit of narration. This has a fair amount of narration for the first few minutes over action, over dialogue, like you were saying. And it's narrated by George Reeves, which according to my memory and IMDb trivia, this is the only instance in the show where this happens. Now, before we talk about what he's saying and what he's saying it over, this might sound like a silly question, but who's providing the narration? Is it George Reeves or is it Clark or, Clark or Superman? Because he doesn't read it as either of his characters. It really feels like he's just this omniscient third person narrator who just happens to sound like Clark Kent.
1: <laughs> right, and that's what took me a minute as I was listening to it because he's not delivering it in his Clark voice, Clark. You know uh Cantor his speech pattern he's not ref- narrating it and the inflection he puts a Superman and it took me a minute to like is that George you know and I had I had to look it up because I wasn't sure so and like I said it feels to me the kind of thing um <laughs> for example when I was in high school my film class I had we filmed this movie and I you know I filmed it and everything And I had to be at a conference the day that they began the editing process. And they started and they screwed up the footage and did not import the audio. So when I get back and it's due, I have to figure ways around using this footage, using sound, and then trying to tweak it to sound and feel more like an old silent movie than what we originally envisioned. Because they screwed up and didn't import any of the audio and I had to change some things and it was a, you know, that's the idea I get from this is something maybe was wrong. Why are we doing this narrating? Because I feel like all this narration could be incorporated in just simple dialogue that maybe is being given at the beginning. And then a lot of the information is reiterated in the story as it goes.
0: Yes. So again it is it's a it's a curious choice if it were a choice i mean like you said i mean maybe it was born out of necessity i i honestly don't know i'll be honest though my instinct is that this was a deliberate choice to set the mood because it really does contribute to this foreboding tone that permeates the episode and it it really kind of pulls you in right from the beginning. I might be giving them too much credit. It may very well be that they didn't have (laughs) the audio that they needed and this was their fix. I don't know, but I do think either way, the effect is that the narration does contribute to the the tone of the episode and it works in that sense. Although again, at the time, the first time I watched it, it, it didn't necessarily work for me. And I think one of the problems that I originally had with this episode was I just felt so slow to me. And I thought, I felt that the narration contributed to, to, to what I consider to be a slow pace. Again, upon rewatch, that wasn't as much of an issue, but yeah, the, the use of the narration definitely has an effect regardless of what the motivation was. It definitely has an effect though. I will say, and Grossman talked about this in his commentary. I mean, Reeves has such a great voice. I mean, I, Like, and that was a thing now, like, especially watching it multiple times, I was just looking for different things. And as I was listening to it and just letting his voice just like wash over me, I was like, oh, like, this is really cool. I wouldn't necessarily want this for more episodes, like once was enough, but I, he does just have such a great voice and he used it very well in that, in that scene.
1: I'm curious about the production order like if this was always planned to be the second episode based on things that we've talked about, because you mentioned that the first episode did have narration. Maybe it was a theme they were carrying over, but then it also makes me think, are they trying to evoke a mood or style of something else of the era that used something similar? Um, We all know that, you know, there's certain shorthand that directors will do now to reference another movie to kind of put you in a, in a certain feeling for what they're trying to to give you so it makes me wonder if there was something else at this time that they were kind of referencing with the way they the style and the story um, but I don't I don't know I couldn't find anything as I was doing some research
0: it's, fo- it's so funny because and I don't say this to be flip but over these past few minutes you and I might have given this more thought <laughs> <laughs>
1: than they actually did they're they're like they're like phyllis coates is listening to this and she's like those guys know she's like she's just laughing like those guys are giving it way too much credit they just slapped it together with some extra footage and b-roll they she's probably like if they they paid attention they'd realize that was two episodes cut together just because we needed to air something
0: (laughs) in any event in terms of what's said and what's seen at the at the opening of this episode so jim olsen shows up on Moose Island, this island off the coast of Maine, for his vacation. And he meets his Aunt Louisa and cousin Chris. Now, not to spoil the episode, we will later find out that they are imposters, And we have our first clues in this opening scene because the narrator tells us that Jim hasn't seen his Aunt Louisa since he was a baby. And he's never met his cousin Chris. Now, I have to give them credit because as an adult... In 2022, who's consumed a lot of content, including mysteries and everything, and especially obviously having watched the episode before, but even prior to that, you know, you listen to that and of course you see how things start to unfold. And, you know, you don't have to be the world's greatest detective to piece this together. However, I can see at the time, and especially for an audience that was younger, how this was kind of a clever bit of information that they slid in there that did they didn't beat you over the head with it but it was there and so when you get to the reveal later it's like oh yeah that makes sense he hasn't seen he doesn't know what his aunt looks like and of course this was a very different time (laughs) an entirely different era so you know the idea that you would be showing up for a visit at your aunt's house and you had no idea (laughs) what your aunt looked like in present day although I'll be honest even then that still feels like maybe a little bit they had photographs (laughs) but nevertheless it, it definitely makes more sense that that could be the case
1: I mean, you know, nowadays I can take a picture and send it to you instantly. Like, Hey, this is what this looks like. You know, Um, as you and I do all
0: the time (laughs) Yeah,
1: compared (laughs) to maybe they hadn't taken photos or corresponded through mail, like photo sharing, wasn't really the thing, you know? So the idea he hadn't seen her in a long time makes sense. Uh, But like you said, there's clues that of when jim was coming compared to the events of what happens um mm-hmm. there's some dialogue later that makes me think that he had originally corresponded with his aunt before the the events happened um but it does i don't want to jump to the end but there is a line that made me really chuckle uh um, wait
0: hold it because i think i have a sense it's there was something that really made me laugh at the end as well. And it's probably i I had to guess, I think it's the same thing. So let's, let's wait till we get there. And oh, I'm going to cool. compare.
1: Um, but, you know, I, I do think, you know, this Island that's like, there's no town. They, they make it sound like there's nobody else. There's nobody else on this Island. It's desolate. But then Jim references uh, the t- trying to get to the town. The lines are down. And why would you go here for your vacation? Because they state, like, we want you to have a great vacation. And it's, you know. Um,
0: yeah, it doesn't seem like there's much to do other than take walks, which, which we'll get to in a second. But
1: all, he even all- sent Clark a postcard. Where did he get the postcard to send?
0: And and when? I mean, although the, that later on the narration tells us it's like a two or three days later. So I guess there's there's been enough time. I don't know. I think there's. It makes
1: you think how's jimmy's reporting skills his instincts you know like i kind of question a little bit
0: yeah that comes up in in a couple of places but you know in this opening scene again we see him and we hear the narrator describe as he's greeting aunt louisa and cousin chris and we see something in this opening scene that will continue to play out across the episode which to me is probably one of the most unintentionally funny aspects of this whole episode which is you know, both of them in quotes, Aunt Louisa and Cousin Chris have very different approaches to how they deal with Jimmy, right? Aunt Louisa, for all intents and purposes, she's trying to behave as an aunt would, right? She's giving, she's hugging him, she's, you know, kissing him on the cheek, she's making him food. Chris, on the other hand, in fact, in that opening scene, the narrator tells us he was deliberately unfriendly, like he won't even shake Jim's hand, <laughs> And what's funny to me is, as we find out, they're operating this smuggling operation. That's what it comes down to. And it's just so funny to me because there are numerous instances where I say to myself, if you were trying to divert suspicion and just sort of placate this visitor and just kind of keep him off to the side and keep him out of the way, it seems to me that the way to do it would be to just be nice to him and... Pretend you were his cousin and just kind of go along with it like Aunt Louisa does. Buddy, buddy. But Chris takes the total opposite approach time and again, which we'll see. And it's just so funny to me. I mean, look, if he didn't, then we might not have an episode. So I get it. But it's just (laughs) hilarious to me where it's like, dude, you're making this way harder than you need to. It's like, just, just play along. And this guy probably won't think twice about any of this stuff. It was so funny to me. And it starts, you know, right off the bat. And the, and so the narration continues. We go inside, right? And we see Louisa introduce Jim to Alice, the deaf and mute uh, housekeeper. And of course, she'll play a key role as we're moving forward. And the narrator tells us that Jim was, was sad to learn that she was deaf and mute because given that and the fact that Chris had no interest in communicating with him, the only person on this island that he could talk to was Aunt Louisa. And to your point, yeah, it's a little nebulous because, it, again, the, the impression seems to be like there's no one on this island, but there's the town there. It's it's a little unclear exactly how many, but I would say it's fair to say a largely uninhabited island, if not entirely. Yeah. Beyond the house,
1: did the uh, kitchen that of Aunt Louisa's make you feel like you were back at the kit house? The kit oh, kitchen, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was like. I was like, "Oh, so maybe they just use it because they're like, we have this set. Let's film this again. And we'll tear this thing down."
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then anyway, so the narration continues as Aunt Louisa shows Jim into uh, his his deceased uncle's old room, which is where he'll stay. And as we see from Jim's giddy expression, and as the narrator tells us, he's very happy to be in his his uncle's old room clearly that's the highlight so far of his vacation here it's turning the whole thing around chris was a dud unfortunately the housekeeper is very sweet pretty housekeeper he you know he can't communicate with her because she's deaf and uh but but the room seems to make up for a lot of that with jim
1: yeah (laughs) i mean my 20 year uh deceased uncle's house you know room that i'm only 19 so you know maybe it's that longing for the uncle you never knew Uh, But I I find it interesting, the first dialogue that's spoken
0: is the line, help, help, I'm drowning. Wait, you got to do it. You got to do it in the voice of the, help me, help me, me. I'm drowning. (laughs) Because this will recur throughout the episode. And I, I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to take us, you know, second through second, you know, second by second through this episode. But even before that, the narration continues even even more as we get other shots of the island and this explanation that Moose Island was a wild and exciting place. And we see the lighthouse, which has been abandoned for 20 years since Jim's uncle died. And yes. what we hear, we hear about and we see these caves, cliffs, and boulders, which are described as grim sentinels. Again, I say all of this just to say like the show is really painting a picture for us about what this island is like. And then that takes us to what you, what you were getting at this uh, you know, Jimmy walking along the, the the beach there when he when he hears the, these cries for help, these whales. I
1: feel like I'm just going to say this. There's a really good episode in this. But it's something in the presentation and the details that just, it gets lost. Uh, oh, snap. I didn't know this was my thing was on. Sorry. It's okay.
0: <laughs> um, well, just, try. Ch- it might be haunted. You never know.
1: It might be. Um, so I, I, I like the setup, The the paint, like it's doing a lot, but there's just something that's not selling it for me completely i don't know but you know jim just walking around the woods it just uh, and he runs into a, a a sailor standing in the woods just off to the side looking at him and it was uh it was interesting because <laughs> he's like have you seen chris and he's like chris my cousin chris i'll go get him you know and he goes in and tells Chris, and Chris is like angry. What are you doing now? What are you doing?
0: He's like, I was in the woods. <laughs> uh, yes, I want to talk. This is my that scene in the kitchen is probably my favorite scene of the episode. So yes, you're. Oh, one more thing though that I want to say about Jimmy's walk on the beach and when he hears the whales, he is sweating profusely when he in the jacket. The, yeah, I mean, fair enough.
1: <laughs> he's wearing a jacket, and like uh, I'm like, if I <laughs> like, but yeah, you're right. He's just he looks at like.
0: Yeah, but you really, you know, look. Credit to Jack Larson. I mean, he really, he really sells that terror that he's feeling <laughs> as he hears these, as he hears these whales. He doesn't know where they're coming from, and then yes, he encounters Mac the sailor, who, uh, like you said, initially mistakes him for Chris and is talking about needing to to move something before the tide comes in. And you know, we'll get a clearer picture of that as we move along. But you know, that's what he initially uh, is, is talking to Jim about, and very gruff, very abrupt. Another instance where. You know, maybe a little diplomacy would have would have sped things a lot. I don't know. But in any event, he sends Jim back to the kitchen where, like you said, Jim comes in. He sees Aunt Louisa and Chris are there. And he tells Chris that this sailor Mac was looking for him. And like you said, Chris bites his head off. He's like, why were you spying? And she was like, I wasn't spying. Again, another instance where it's like if you just didn't make a big deal out of it, Jim probably wouldn't have thought much about this. I mean, I guess the fact that there was someone else even there you know, it might might raise some flags, but uh, you know, Chris makes such a big deal out of it, and yet, like, instantly accuses him <laughs> of spying. So, right off the bat, it's like you're planting the seed in this reporter's head that there is something to spy on. It's so funny to me. The strategy is just hilarious.
1: It, it is, and you know, Jim Jim's supposed to represent, and the way that Jim is here, I think represents youth, naivety, and innocence, and that's that's kind of how I think Jimmy is shown here is just that's where he is. And we're on the journey with him as the audience and almost like Jim's seeing the changing world and, you know, and experiencing it. And you have, but, you know, Clark's a little bit more hardened rough of the world kind of person. And Jim's just like sweet, innocent Jim. You know,
0: and and you know, in a few scenes when we get to Superman or for first Clark's arrival on the island and his encounters with Jim, it definitely, you know, the 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 air sort of changes and it feels like oh, there's an adult in the room now, right? And we'll you know we'll get to it, but that was again another instance where I had to remind myself that you know he, Jim is still a kid, right? Even if he is 19 or 20, that's still. That's still young, but I don't know if he's even meant to be that old, even if even if the actor was that old at the time. So, yeah, I think that is definitely good to keep in mind. Now, this scene in the kitchen, like I said, probably my favorite scene. I actually, there was one part that I, I had to rewind and watch again because it literally made me laugh out loud. I thought it was so funny. So Chris storms off and Jim is in the room with, and I keep saying Jim because I feel like in this, in these early episodes in season one, I feel like he was Jim- more than he yeah. was necessarily jimmy anyway yeah so but in my heart of course he's jimmy so jimmy and louisa are in the kitchen and she's then they're talking about this encounter that he's just had with chris and she's like oh he's got a terrible temper and he you know he doesn't want anyone to go near the lighthouse and she says to him she's like you know it don't don't provoke him anymore and he, the line and jack larson's delivery were it was perfect this is what made me laugh he goes provoke him all i did was go for a walk <laughs> <laughs> that I, and again when i watched this a year and a half ago that didn't even register with me but watching it again now it just it made me laugh so hard this like this poor kid he's like all i've done is go for a walk like why is everyone biting my head off
1: he's like in the in the woods and chris yelled at him why are you walking around by the beach he said i was in the woods and i think what's interesting is when aunt louisa says promise me promise me you won't go near it or back, you know, and he's like, okay, yeah. It's like, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there don't seem to be a lot of options. And, you know, she, she, you know, warns him to stay away, but he does bring up that, right, the driver who, you know, brought him, f- you know, to the dock or from the dock, I forget exactly, but mentioned how on the mainland they can still sometimes see this lighthouse that's supposed to be abandoned. And she, you know, quickly dismisses that, but- again we the, the wheels are turning in jim's head about the supposedly abandoned but perhaps haunted uh, lighthouse anyway two or three days later <laughs> the, yeah. nar- the narrator is not sure <laughs> it's like two or three days later <laughs> jim's getting ready for bed and uh you know he turns the light out and he looks out the window and he sees the light from the lighthouse great use of lighting i thought in the scene it was really cool very evocative it really it, it's it, Hits the, the mood yep,
1: and hits. I feel like this is like two episodes away, two steps away from me on episode of Scooby-Doo.
0: <laughs> it's so funny to me because if we had recorded this, you know, before I did these rewatches, my, like my attitude towards this would be very different. And part of me now wonders like, am I being too generous to this episode? I don't know, but I it's, guess it's,
1: it's it's looking back and having an appreciation for what's to come and seeing it differently. And that's kind of why I kind of want to be on the other side and look at it from, I'm I'm a I'm a fan, I watched the first episode, I'm excited, and then this is what you give me next? Like, I don't want to be harsh towards it, but at the same time, I do want to point out that you're not selling me on, on The Adventures of Superman when the second episode, after you gave me very little Superman, is Jimmy on an island.
0: Yes, and... So on that note, I think that was, that was the other thing that was different for me now was that I have watched, or I mean, a year and a half ago when I did this big viewing project, I watched the first two seasons and I watched, I would say maybe a quarter of the color seasons. So even as of this recording, I've not seen the entire series. I've seen most of it or a lot, a significant amount of it, and certainly the first two seasons. And I will say that now that I know what the rest of the first two seasons are like, This episode is a lot more palatable, but you're right. I mean, that was my problem with it the first time because, you know, Superman on Earth. Okay, we're off to a great start, but, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be like week to week. And then it was like, wait a minute, is it this? I mean, I remember because I watched those first two seasons, four episodes of Digging for Kryptonite, and I remember saying to myself, like, oh, what like what have I gotten myself into? Like, is this is this what they're all going to be like? And so I was very pleasantly surprised as I made my way through the rest of the episodes. And I think that's why now going back and watching this, I, I have the the wider perspective. And so this is not as offensive to me like as it was the first time around.
1: I, I just had an epiphany. This this is how you do it. You watch the pilot. Then you watch Superman in the moment. Then this. This is Jimmy's Superman in the moment. <laughs> okay you know like in superman the moment we talked about how there's like no metropolis nothing it's just clark and lois and this is no metropolis nothing this is jimmy's moment with clark and superman you watch that together and then continue the series you'll be all right yeah that's, that's,
0: hey i, I I'll, I'll go along yeah. with that <laughs> but so- So Jim heads heads out. He goes to investigate. He gets to the lighthouse. He's stopped by Chris, who threatens to knife him. I mean, it gets it escalates quickly.
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, people kept pocket knives and had knives on them all the time. You know, it's just kind of a common thing. But I still would feel very awkward. My cousin pulling a knife, telling me to, you know, don't go here, or I'll knife you. Makes me think. I'm going to call Clark Kent and tell him to come get down here because something's wrong.
0: And he will eventually do that in the morning, but he has one more, one more little adventure to have along the way. But I I don't know if I were on a trip like that and my cousin threatened to knife me, that might be the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to cut this short and I'll just spend the weekend in the city and it'll be great.
1: (laughs) And Louisa, you are a horrible parent that you raised my cousin to just want to stab his family.
0: Yeah, right. essentially. But so he gets back to the bedroom and there's a note on the pillow that says, I'm in terrible trouble, won't you come? And uh, he goes to knock on Aunt Louisa's door, you know, looking for her after he he sees this note. Um, Alice comes and she signals, you know, for him to follow her. So they start to make their way back to the kitchen, back outside, but Aunt Louisa stops them in the kitchen and she puts the kibosh on that and, you know, sends them off to bed. So the... You know, the, the the plot thickens and uh, maybe we start to get some pieces that will <laughs> enable us to figure out what's going on here.
1: But uh, Here's a clue I'm going to throw out to you that maybe Jimmy didn't catch. And I just thought about this. How old do you think Cousin Chris is?
0: <laughs> Are you saying he's like he's way older than you would you would think?
1: But we know that the uncle's been dead for 20 years. Well, that's
0: true. Young. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I retract that. Yeah, I know. When, when was
1: cousin Chris supposed like he would have had it been bored? So he would have had to be in his older twenties. You know? So does he feel like that's where he is? Like, you know, because I don't know, just saying, like, just from the perspective of Jim, like if I met someone, you know, he's is my cousin, but he looks like he's 19 or 18, you know, but this guy looks like he's older. So it kind of works, but just well, kind of wondering, like.
0: He's hmm. a good enough reporter that he knows there's is something it? up with this lighthouse, but he's not a good enough reporter to start to kind of like piece together the math on his on his family members, I suppose.
1: That's just, you know, thinking about things because, but he's good enough to realize he needs help.
0: So in the next morning, he calls Clark. So finally, I mean, my (laughs) goodness, finally, (laughs) we see, you know, we heard George Reeves. Oh, you know what? Maybe that's one of, maybe that's why they had the narration. Because you don't, even though, as we talked about, we don't necessarily think he's narrating it as Clark or Superman, but maybe it was like, our hero has a presence in the story because you're hearing his voice, even though you're not seeing him. I actually wonder if that might have something to do with it.
1: I think we, I, I'm starting to think we're giving this episode a lot more creative freedom than it, it earned. Maybe. But maybe. in any event,
0: we finally see Clark sitting at the Daily Planet. Clark, Jimmy calls. He's like, you know, there's something up here. I need help. Get here as quickly as you can. I, you know, J- Clark is like, oh, I got your postcard. Like, you know, he mentioned before. And while Jim is making this call, he hears those wails again. So he's really freaking out. He needs Clark's help. And, you know, Clark springs into action, even though this is the second episode that aired. Clearly, a relationship has built between them as as, you know, between Jim and both Clark and Superman. There's a a friendship and and respect there. And so, you know, Clark changes into Superman and flies into action. And we get actually uh, I was surprised at the variety of flying shots. It was yes, more than you typically got in these episodes.
1: It was like it was overlaid a little bit more to where he like was at like we had George in the foreground and then like so uh clouds in the background, and then we had like a wider shot and it was it was really cool. Like it just wasn't the standard kind of
0: Yeah. And so Clark shows up, he goes to the front door, Jim meets him outside. How'd you get here so fast? Go, oh, it's a long story. <laughs> quickly changes the subject because that's the thing. I mean, (laughs) from what, from what we saw on screen, I mean, he immediately, you know, rushed into action and flew there, but look, uh, you know, emotions are heightened. Jim's dealing with a lot. He's, he's probably, look, he can't do the math to figure out how old his cousin's supposed to be, you know, and he, he does bring it up to Clark about how fast it is. So, you know, maybe we'll, you know, he, he figured out as much as he, should be reasonably expected to.
1: <laughs> Golly, Mister Kent, you sure got here quick. Yeah, Jim, what's going on?
0: Yeah, so Jim takes Clark on this tour of the island, and he's explaining about this this cave, right? That's only accessible when you know the, the tide is low. Like most of the day, the tide is too high, and you you know you can't even you know walk in; only accessible by boat, and so on. Like I said, I feel like in this scene, it it is this sense of like, okay, okay, the adult is in the room now, and I felt like you got a lot of. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, from Clark. Like, he's he's piecing all of this together in a way that Jim is really not equipped to. Yes. And I think the most, like, you know, the funniest, but also most interesting piece of this scene is where Clark asks Jim to get a sample of Aunt Louise's handwriting, right? Because he tells Clark about this note that he got, you know, come help me. He's like, can you get a sample of Aunt Louise's, another sample of Aunt Louise's handwriting? And, you know, clearly Clark has the sense that, okay your aunt is probably not your aunt, but he doesn't tell Jim. And I say to myself as I'm watching this, is it because they don't want to give it away for the audience, especially the younger viewers who haven't figured it out yet? Or is it that Clark doesn't want to shatter poor Jim's illusions? It's like he doesn't want to break it to him that his aunt is not who she says it is. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a function of of both of those things. Like, what do you attribute that to? Because it's like, it's interesting that he won't say why.
1: (laughs) It makes me think of when I worked in tech with cell phones, when people would call in that their cell phone's not working. And I would look at my monitor and do a couple of checks and realize that all they had to do was turn their phone off and back on. (laughs) okay and i would say to them okay because you know you don't want to hurt their feelings and make them feel that they've wasted their time so since you're you can see me i will act out exactly what i did i'll be like okay i'm gonna do something here on my end hold on all right i'm 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 putting it in the computer right now all right go ahead and turn off your phone all right power back on did it work all right. Awesome. I'm glad it worked. And literally I did nothing but just tell them to turn their phone without telling them that's all it needed. So maybe Clark doesn't want to like make Jimmy feel horrible for how did you not figure this out yet? You know, like Clark wants to make sure he's right before he jumps the gun because he says, you know, uh, arrest, get another sample, have her write like a recipe or, uh, find a recipe, try to see if you can find something about before the note. Um, so, you know, Jim's like, OK, you know, he doesn't want to just say, Jim, this is what it is.
0: Yeah. And, and look, in fairness, I mean, that would kind of, I think, let the wind out of the sails of this episode if if he did that. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's certainly fitting, but it, it just struck me as as funny that, like, you know, Clark really seems to have a sense of what's going on here. He, he continues to keep Jim in the dark a little bit, but it's also to keep the audience you know, guessing, I suppose. So he sends Jim back to the house and he changes into Superman and he flies to the coast guard ship. And ag- again, he has this sense, okay, there's a smuggling operation going on here. You need to investigate. And like I said before, the coast guard captain, I mean, instantly knows, you know, Oh, it's Superman. And you know, they'll of course turn the ship around at, at Superman's behest. I meanwhile, Jim goes back to the room. There's another note this time. Uh, Alice brings it to him on the, you know, like on a dinner tray under a, a food cover, food lid. And it says that Alice will bring Jim to, uh, uh, you know, to her later on. So he sneaks back out to go tell Clark to go find Clark, and he heads into the cave and gets ambushed by yes. by Chris and Mac and caged. There's this. <laughs> this is uh, that's what the that gate was what I down. was hilarious.
1: What I was like, it was when the gate. I was like, okay, that's did they plan to like trap somebody in there? Like, was this built to keep people out? Like, is it they put it on maybe like during the day because no one's going to go in there because of the water, but it's just an extra security. But I did like how Clark told Jim, like, I'm going to, no, it's getting late. Jim, you go up. The fog's coming. I'm going to look around the island. You know, he tells Jim to go. He's going to walk around the island, uh, you know, in the dark with the fog.
0: Yeah, I know. It is, that is a good question about the gate and what the motivation was for them installing it in the first place.
1: I say the motivation is they need some awesome action set piece for Superman to do, and this just worked.
0: And that's it. Now, in Serial to Serial and in the commentary, uh, Gary Grossman talks about how Jack Larson was not a fan of being submerged in water, which is something that obviously happens here but also happens in other episodes, and that he would sort of try to fight against it uh, with the with the with the writers, but uh, never really won that. And there are numerous instances throughout the show where he is wet, and he was not a fan of that. And apparently, he caught a bad cold after this episode. Which I mean, that calls to mind Erica Durance on Smallville, because I feel like that was something similar there, and I feel like she's spoken about this too, where there were like many instances of 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 her lowest character being wet.
1: Yeah, I also think about. You know who didn't complain was Burt Ward, when you hear about the stories of him getting blown up, doing his own stunts and being in his Robin suit rushed to the ER, you know, getting bandaged up then going back out to shoot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he's like, I'm, I was too young to realize how uh, bad this really was. Yeah, I know
0: all? it's 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 really crazy. So I'll
1: will take getting wet over being blown up.
0: Yes, and anyway, while Jim is is caged in this cave he does hear those whales yet again and that brings us into our big climax here where back in the kitchen uh chris and mac and louisa they make a plan to uh, take out the coast guard ship it's a big big, yeah big doings there it's like all right
1: (laughs) i was like okay um i'm thinking about what kind of ship the coast guard has and i'm like oh yeah what, what 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 do you plan to do there chris
0: yeah, it's a good question, and we also find out that they have the lighthouse rigged with explosives, and that they instruct Louisa to uh, flip the switch if necessary to destroy the lighthouse and the evidence. And she is reluctant to do this. She expresses concern over the fact that Alice is there now. And you know, we'll get to the the you know the final uh, you know resolution, the denouement, in a moment. But I don't think we ever get a clear answer as to who Alice is or what I her agree. relation
1: is so i was gonna ask you what you thought and or your thoughts on who alice was um because when a, i won't spoil but when the real aunt louisa comes out and she kind of reveals who these people are she doesn't mention alice
0: yeah it's it's tough to say i mean i feel like my initial read on this was probably that Alice was the real Louisa's housekeeper, but they kept her on because they didn't see her as a threat due to due to her 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 deafness and her inability to speak. But but the,
1: but, but the fake Louisa was the housekeeper.
0: That, exactly. So that's why I don't think that's actually the case. I think she's somehow got mixed up with the smuggling crew. I mean, I you never get an answer. It's hard to say.
1: They don't say like. I can't remember her name. The fake Louisa, faux Louisa, Mrs. Faux Carmody. Louisa. Carmody. Yeah, it was a C. It was my was my housekeeper, and but it doesn't say like with her son and daughter. Like it just there's nothing. So I find that interesting. And did did they say that they rigged the front porch to explode?
0: Oh, I thought it was a lighthouse. I didn't think it was. the I thought front it was porch.
1: because Louisa when at the end and I'm bringing it up because we're talking about the explosions when the coast guard and Mr. Kent are going out, they say unhook the explosives outside. I thought they had the house, maybe to rig too or something. I don't, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I assumed it was the lighthouse. I I thought that's what they said, but maybe, maybe it was, they
1: did say the lighthouse. That's why I didn't know she was, that's what she was referencing there or
0: maybe both. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But In any event, uh, you know, there seems to be some redeeming quality to the fake Louisa here. She has some feelings about not wanting to, you know, to to kill, to murder, and especially Alice. So regardless of what the backstory there is, which we never get, uh, at least you get a little more insight into her character, I suppose. Superman on the Coast Guard ship, he, he, you know, uh, I think he hears, right, or hears Jim's cries for help, so he flies off. We, Grossman pointed this out in the commentary you don't actually see him fly away from the ship but the sound effect and the music is, and the coast guards reaction they're all so effective it's kind of crazy
1: your, your it, mind does it you, your like. mind
0: does it and that's I want to say this because I, I feel like you know we're only in the second episode of this series and this podcast and as we move forward audience I think, I think you'll get a sense I'm not you know any anything that I might sort of critique, it will rarely have to do with the budget limitations. I, You know, I recognize what they were. I think any times where, you know, maybe I I wanted more or I I disagreed with something that unfolded on screen, it has more to do with the story and character than the way things are presented. I mean, we'll see as we make our way forward. But, you know, like this is an example, like I, you know, I wouldn't take them to task for this. And if anything, it's a testament, right, to the music and the sound effects and the actor's reaction that you feel like you're seeing him flying, even though you're not. It's actually impressive.
1: Yeah, it, is. it just makes me the way that, you know, the whole like bounce and then you know, the way he lands reminds me a little bit. Of if you've ever seen like behind the scenes of the Flash TV series, the way Grant purposely like overdoes like his poses and he, he runs in because it's the same kind of concept. He runs in and does this big move and then they Instead of being cut away to, you know, the way they did George, it's CG. It's the same kind of like, you know, you do this big thing and then it makes it look like he's set up to move. And using sound is so important because you burn that effect into your brain that that means he's doing this. He's flying or he's this, you know, or just, you know, the sound of Superman in front of you. And then you have the and then like wind go on the character's faces as they watch him fly away and you just buy it
0: yeah man absolutely so he rescues jim he pulls him out he bends the bars uh grossman talked about how the gate was supposed to lift but it got stuck so they had a little bit of a mishap there but anyway he rescues jim grossman also points out how even though superman is wet as he is carrying jim out of the cave once they're fully outside, his costume is totally dry. So
1: it's uh, that heat from his drawing the sun's solar energies dries him
0: out. Yeah, we'll go with that. They have a quick exchange. I think my, fa- my favorite moment here, I think it's here, is where uh, Superman asks Clark asks Jim about the handwriting sample that Clark asked for, and <laughs> the way like George, I don't know, he ha- like there's a certain stance in this scene i can't even describe it or even act it out but he's i don't know i don't know how you would describe it but it stood out to me like it was uh i, I don't know it's very distinct
1: he has a great you know how they say there's a, a difference between someone dressing up as superman and then when you see them you say that's superman yep that's a way like when my wife and i she had watched the serials with me and then when i put on Later the night after we finished the serials, I started watching Superman the Moment. And when George walks out, she even said, "Like that's a stance. He has a presence when he stands out as Superman." And I, you know, that's what makes me think when I when he see him in a lot of these stances and just there's an error about him that just commands. Um, and that's the I guess the best I could, way I can describe kind of the his stance and movement here is it's just there's a command and a power to
0: it. That's that's the thing, man. And I know I said this, I expressed this the same sentiment when you and I covered the serials. And th- as we talked about, there's a lot about Kirk Allen's performance that I, I do appreciate. And that those serials broke a lot of ground and credit where credit's due. But at the end of the day, I look at Kirk Allen in that costume, running around in that costume. And to your point, it never... Like, it always feels like a guy running around in a Superman costume. And then you see George in essentially the same costume. And it's like, oh, oh, that's Superman. And it's it's that inex... I, look, and what's the difference? I couldn't say. I couldn't put my finger on it. It's, it's that, that
1: X factor. It's that know, X factor. Unknown. It's
0: just that presence, that, that, that command. Like you said, it just... You just look at him and then you think, okay, that's Superman in a way that... Another actor looks like a guy in a costume. It's crazy, but I guess yeah. that's the magic of all of this. It's it's, it's amazing. So he has this uh, interaction with Jim. Then he goes off to round up the bad guys. Uh, he has this en- encounter, this little fight with Mac on the cliffs here, where Mac's throwing rocks at him, and you know Superman's dodging them. And you know Mac loses his footing, and like Superman moves out of the way, and, <laughs> and you he fall, and Superman just. Eh. Like looks down he, and moves on. That's the thing. He falls to his death. I mean, I think the first time I, I, I'm assuming he falls. So we don't see him again, nor do they it's mention a, very, a rescue mission.
1: It's a very Superman 2 kind of thing. Like you just.
0: That's the thing. And I, I will not derail this. I swear with discussions about Superman killing and all yeah. that. And I'm not saying that he killed in this instance, but it's just it's just interesting. I think it speaks. He to, pulled up
1: Batman Begins. I don't have to save you.
0: Yeah. He's like, I'm all right, buddy. Like you want to throw rocks at me. <laughs> better watch where you're standing because you might fall. And if you do, you're out of luck. And that's essentially what happens. Like he doesn't bat an eye. And part of me says, okay, that's a sign of the times. But then, you know, to your point, it is very reminiscent of Superman 2 as well, where the depowered Kryptonian criminals fall to their death. And before you mentioned the deleted scene audience, I know, but it's a deleted scene and it's not in the movie. So it just, it called that to mind, but it was so, it's just so funny to me to see a Superman who watches even if it's a bad guy like fall to his death seemingly and you know he but doesn't it, bat an eye but it worked like that's the thing it, it fits in this iteration of the character
1: i mean especially if you go back to the, the the golden age books like you've talked about before it's more in line with how he was but it yeah it cracked me up i had to back it up and make sure i saw like yeah he just like oh, well chose your own fate pal keep moving
0: yeah And uh, in in any event, you know, Superman explains to Jim, basically explains smuggling to him, right, where we get (laughs) more of an explanation here about how they're, uh, you know, assailing their stolen wares um, into this cave that's usually, you know, inaccessible by foot. And it's the secret entrance to the lighthouse, and they're using it for the smuggling operation. And, you know, Jim is still not, like, really picking up on it i feel like it it, it takes a full ex- explanation from superman to really uh, drive it home about what exactly they're doing there
1: yeah it, it it's kind of like i said jim's innocent and naive and maybe that's watching this you know in order maybe that's kind of jim's arc is as, as he's introduced more to the world you know as his adventures with clark and lois and he sees how things are
0: I mean, I don't want to spoil the rest of the series for you. I don't know that he necessarily becomes all that worldly or savvy. If anything, he gets dumber. I mean, to like, you know, that's kind of the other thing here that's kind of interesting watching this, especially seeing where the show goes. And like I said, I didn't watch all of the color seasons, but I watched a selection from each of the color seasons and I watched the final episodes of the show. And, you know, Jim increasingly is played for comic effect. I mean, like that was the thing watching this that was kind of interesting was... Yes, he's a little, you know, he's not so quick on the uptake, I guess. But, it, you know, Jim is still largely like is playing it straight here. Like he's scared and it's it's not he's not necessarily the butt of the joke or, or playing it up, yucking it up for laughs or anything like that, where, you know, the, the character definitely leans far more into the comedic side as you move forward. So this was I mean, believe it or not, I think this was a more, I guess, a more grounded, serious take on the character in the show, which is fascinating.
1: Did you ever watch Boy Meets World?
0: I always watched Boy Meets World. I watched, my wife and I watched Girl Meets World a few years ago. So, yes. Yeah,
1: I, I, it <laughs> like reminds Eric. me of Eric. Yeah. yeah. How he starts out this cool, savvy character who's con- who's funny. And then Eric gets dumber and dumber and idiotic and just flat out annoyingly stupid for a little bit. And then slowly they start to try to bring him back. Like, um, I watched an episode. It really hit me hard and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but it was one of the last episodes. It's where Eric and Corey are given the assignment of cleaning out the garage
0: oh, together. the yard sale. I remember that. Yeah. One. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: And to me, that was a great step back to if you had watched like season one, two Eric, and then went to that compared to some of the other adventures. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like the feeling I get with Jimmy here is like, they just start like, "Hey, you, you play it dumber. You know you're the comical relief. Like everyone else is having these big problems and seriousness. You got you got to play it for the laugh. Like go for the laugh, whatever it takes. Get the laugh. Um, so we'll we'll see how Jim's adventure goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, thankfully he never he never gets as deranged as Eric uh, Eric Matthews on Boy Meets World.
1: <laughs> I still say that best TV dad was uh, Mr. Matthews. He doesn't get enough credit. Uh,
0: you're right. You're right. I'm throwing that
1: out there just right now. Just
0: look, as far as rewatch podcast, I know, I know the cast members from that show are doing one too, and they had him on, they had William Russ on talking and they, they addressed that fact. It's, I mean, it's true. I mean, okay, That's a tangent, but it's, but it is very true. He is definitely, he doesn't get the credit he's due as far as. That'll be our
1: next Patreon special. You and I just chat boy meets world. Like we did power.
0: (laughs) So this leads us to the final scene, our resolution here back in the kitchen where uh, the fake Aunt Louisa and Chris have been rounded up, the real Aunt Louisa emerges holding the the imposter at gunpoint and directing Alice to tie her up. And, you know, this is where we now get some clarity. Like we said before, this is actually Mrs. Carmody, who's posing as Aunt Louisa. She was the housekeeper. And this is what I thought you were going to say you laughed at, but I guess we were thinking of different things. Even after all this... Jim still has this incredulous moment where he goes, you mean that's not my cousin, Chris?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says that. And then she, so that whole speech where he said, that's not my cousin, Chris. He's like, no, they showed up right after your cousin, Chris joined the military with her son, Chris. i Oh, like there's two Chris's. That's, that was like the <laughs> pinnacle of, of, of just hitting me was like, Chris is playing the role of his cousin, Chris. Like, I'm just like, right after cousin Chris leaves faux Chris shows up. I'm like, I, it just was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll suspend disbelief, but two Chris's like,
0: yeah, I know it is. It is kind of nuts, but look, so it goes. And
1: can I, can I just say that aunt Louisa is like super intelligent compared to Jimmy? Because (laughs) she says, where'd that handsome Superman go? If I was a few years younger and then Clark shows up and she's like, who's this? Hey, you look a lot like, and he cuts her off and like changes the subject. Like with the coast guard, I'm like, aunt Louise is about figured it out. And she's only met Clark and Superman for a split second. And Jim can't figure out the same his real aunt.
0: Yes. That was a very humorous moment. And I love the way George played that. It was, it, you know, it, it, it definitely sold uh, what, what Clark was thinking in that moment. It was, it was great. And, uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of those episodes end with Clark, you know, looking at and winking at the camera, right? Uh, you know, how'd you get there so fast? Oh, I don't know, I just flew, and kind of like winking at the camera. But I like this was a nice kind of flip on that, where it's like you know she uh, she's starting to put it together, and he has to divert her. So I thought that was cool. And then I guess the final piece is that we finally get an answer to who was behind all of those whales that Jim heard throughout the episode of "I'm Drowning." And yeah. it is, of course, the parrot, which gives everyone a great laugh. So everyone
1: just goes out laughing. And Jim's like, <laughs> I would be like, what the, f-? but no, Jim's like, <laughs> 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 like, they're <laughs> all laughing together at the end. And I'm just like, uh, where are you? Wh- what? Like. Are you mim is the bird mimicking someone there? Why is the bird saying this? Like,
0: <laughs> well, you're you know what? That's the thing. Like, first of all, I agree. You look at Jim's reaction, and you know, he doesn't start laughing initially. And then part of you wonders, well, does he actually find it funny, or is he just like, all right, whatever, I'll go along with this? But also, yeah, that actually brings up a good point because they're you know, the real Aunt Louisa says something about like, oh, this bird hasn't eaten in days, but that still doesn't account for why the bird would be saying, I'm drowning. And you're right, it's like. You know, parrots say what they hear. So, you know, I, I don't think, I, I don't know how long birds live. I don't think we're talking about Jim's uncle who died. And even if it were, it's like, we wouldn't laugh about this. I know they, they're right. surprisingly flip about the, the message that the, the bird is conveying. <laughs>
1: I would be like, Lassie, show me where the where's the Timmy fall in the well again? Take me to
0: him, bird. You know, like, you know, well, Clark was like, look, I busted up this smuggling ring. I saved all these lives. I was like, "Ah, that's enough. That's enough.
1: He's like, I'm done before Aunt Louisa puts puts it together and tries to
0: hit on me again. Jeez, I'm out. And we're out of the episode. And the credits roll. And of course, the first thing we see is starring George Reeves and Phyllis Coates. (laughs) Phyllis Coates got half of that at least. So. Listen, before we give our rating, because this was part of these episodes, we give our rating, our assessment of, of the episode. Is there anything else that you want to say, anything we didn't get to or any big picture takeaways that you wanted to share before we we give our assessment?
1: No, I mean, I think if you're when you're watching this, yeah, I think it would definitely benefit if maybe almost like if you skipped this one and came back to it after you got to, farther in the show may give you more appreciation for it or if you're just curious and you watch it straight and think about what we've said um, would be really like my big kind of takeaway is how do you see this episode and just fitting in? Like it, it's definitely not a great number two, but it's not a horrible episode. It just feels weird coming in at number two, you know? Um, and I'm pretty sure like, they didn't film the pilot and then wait a while like some shows do now, where they film a pilot, wait for approval, and then have to go back and shoot the series. Um,
0: yeah, my understanding so, is essentially Superman and the Mole Men functioned
1: in as that a capacity, backdoor. Yeah, right. So, so I
0: think, yeah, I don't think that there was a long delay between Superman on Earth and the other episodes. I mean, quite the opposite, in fact. I and mean, I think the show famously, right, was was really filming a lot quickly and. You know, they were using that serial, uh, you know, method of filming, you know, like all the Daily Planet scenes for a bunch of episodes in a row to save time. Yeah. So that's
1: why a lot of times their their outfits, you know, they had to be specific or they just were the same thing all the time so that they just keep shooting. Um,
0: yeah, I agree but, with you. That's sort yeah. of my that's sort of where I land on this episode. I think there's there's enjoyment to be had. And I I think, you know, you and I. If anyone now goes to watch it after hearing this conversation, I think they, you know, you might find some stuff humorous. You might enjoy aspects of it more, I hope at least. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, I I could never really make a case for this as episode two in the series. I think this was misplaced. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this and you're planning to do a rewatch at some point, but but not now, yeah, I mean, I would probably say save this for deeper into season one or honestly even just watch watch like two or three episodes past this first
1: watch because, the first disc and then exactly, go back and watch perfect. this before you go to disc two
0: if you have the dvds i think that's the way to do it because you watch episodes three you know, three four five whatever you get the sense of okay this is the routine this is the format the formula of adventures of superman and then you can go back and watch this kind of outlier so i will say You know, again, I spent a lot of time with this episode with my various (laughs) watchings. I I definitely had the most fun uh, talking about it with you. So (laughs) I really appreciate this. But before we go, I mean, of course, I want to have you talk about your podcast, but we have to give our rating here. Now, this is still a new system. I might refine it. I might change it as we're moving forward, but it's the fedora system because I, you know, Clark wears his hat. I love a fedora. I own a couple myself. There's one sitting on the table next to me here. So I've come up with this system. We're going to rate each episode on a scale of, of I guess zero to five fedoras. It'll be a zero to five, and we can do halves as well if where you know where appropriate. So I always give it to the guest first. How many fedoras would you rate this episode?
1: I'm leaning towards two. You know, I I think after our conversation, I could, I could do th- three, but. I'm going to kind of go low on two because I feel like with a five rating scale three is that middle ground, but I don't even think this is that much of a middle ground episode. And a lot of it has to do like, for me is like the production of just things feeling off. Like, why are they doing what they're doing? The pacing, the feeling, the, 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 what they're trying to tell me they're doing, but what they're actually doing and just someone have to go two And if someone wants to argue with me, it's a fair point. I, I will find your opinion valued, unless you say five, then there's something wrong. Unless you're a big Jimmy Olsen fan,
0: I'm also going to say two. I was, I was funny. I was like, I wonder what he's going to say, and you were, you said exactly what I was thinking because, I mean, I have watched a lot, and so I know what I consider to be a five fedora episode, and what I consider to be a one. And yeah, I would say this is a two. Uh, you know, a year ago, I would have said a one <laughs> or a zero. Now, I, I would give this a two for all the reasons that we discussed. So that's what I will I will give this one as well. And uh, the last thing I'll say, going back to what we were saying before, that yeah, it was surprising that there was commentary for this. And it, I'm glad that there was because my first thought was like, oh, maybe this will explain what I've been missing about this episode. And, you know, to an extent, it did. And clearly for Grossman, like this made a huge impression as a kid. And I wonder, and I would love to hear from anyone who had a similar experience with this. Because I think, you know, you and I, and I've spoken, you know, like Rich Roney, who's been on the show before, and we, we talked about Adventures of Superman. I Like I've spoken to a few people who kind of view this similarly. But I would love to hear from anyone else who like happens to love this episode. And, and I would love to hear why.
1: I mean, there's gotta be somebody. Just statistically speaking, like there's gotta be somebody.
0: There's always someone out there. So... Before we before we sign off here, so you're the host of the Krypton Report podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Yes, yes, sir. And you cover uh, tell people what you cover on the show.
1: We talk Superman, and you know it's it's Superman based, but we talk all DC comics. You know we we try to keep up with like latest comics, um, TV shows when they're when they're airing, and you know DC films. We try to stay in the now, but at the same time, trying to find ways of looking back on things, especially. Over summer, like a lot of times, it's about reflecting back on previous storylines or shows. Um, you know, we've jumped around, and we are currently kind of having a discussion on Superboy season two. Um, it's been a few episodes since we've done it because of just life and things that have happened. But you know, I got James watching it since it's streaming on Tubi, and you know the the one thing as of this recording that breaks my heart is that the adventures of Superman is not streaming um, because I think it is a great show. And I mentioned before, like how I started watching DC universe, it did not come to HBO max. It's not available anywhere else to stream. And I, it just kind of breaks my heart that it's one of those things that you have to go out and seek the DVD. So I, I encourage anyone who's interested, check your local libraries, you know, libraries are great resources for things. That's where I initially found, um, latter seasons of the show to watch before i bought them i didn't get to watch them but i knew they were there when i was ready um but yeah check us out on krypton report um we have a good time and if anyone's interested in podcasting we always like to offer uh, if anyone wants to come on krypton report and talk we like to give that to people who have no podcasting experience and give them the chance to give it a try
0: that's really nice. I like that a lot. I hope people will check out the show. It's it's great. I've been honored to to be part of a number of episodes. And yeah, I, I echo what you said about the lack of availability of Adventures of Superman. And I sadly I think that's gonna be a recurring theme on these episodes here because it's the elephant in the room. It's like we're talking about all these episodes that most people don't have access to. You can buy them digitally on Amazon, but you know that's that's you know a hurdle to for people to clear. I mean, it's a lot of episodes if you're going to buy them. Yeah. individually. And I think your point about uh, the libraries, that's a that's a great one. I encourage people to do that. Um I was able to track down the, the DVDs on eBay. Uh, they were they were not cost prohibitive at the time, and I don't know what's what's there now. That's one of the reasons why
1: I'll tell you one thing. Yeah, yeah. I when I went to buy season six, it said buy new, it was like a hundred and some dollars on Amazon. And then I looked and said buy used so like $30 plus $4 shipping. And that's what I bought. And it came packaged brand new. It's never been opened before. And I'll, i lucked out. So um season one would probably be your easiest to track down. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it before, like in um around here, they're uh they're like the used like bookstore like cd type place i've seen them that one's easier because it was more accessible when it came out um and i've seen it for like 10 bucks used so it might be easy for someone to find that way
0: yeah and look uh, hopefully they show up on a streaming service at some point maybe even by the time people hear this i doubt it but in any event there you know there are ways and i do encourage you know it's I'm glad that I tracked down the DVDs, because at least I know I have them. And, you know, we see that they come and go from various services, so I'm glad that I have them. But the last thing I was going to say is that I'm. that's why we're doing the show the way we are and really taking people through the entire episode, because I understand that, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who are hopefully <laughs> listening to this who, you know, might not have the access or might not have the motivation to to take some of the steps that we're mentioning here, but they still want to sort of experience the show in its own way. And that's why I like to do it the way we just did it now, because yeah. we're taking you through the episode. And if this ends up being the only way you experience it, still nothing will ever top watching the show itself, but at least we can sort of give you a sense of, of what it was all about and, and have some fun along the way.
1: I, I totally agree.
0: Tyler, Thank you, really. I cannot tell you how much fun this was. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone checks out the Krypton Report. Audience, thank you for tuning in to this new show of ours. Really, really appreciate it. We will be back in two weeks with Season 1, Episode 3, The Case of the Talkative Dummy. I hope you'll join us then. Adventures await. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast, at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.